A manger was a feeding trough. And it wasn't like a brand new one that was just waiting there, ergonomically correct for the divine spinal cord. It was a used feeding trough. Animals had been eating out of it. Like, I mean, we have this perception of the manger scene where it's like every single animal in there has orthodontic teeth with whitening strips on it. And they just glisten and it's all this beautiful little scene. It was not, Jesus was born in like a barn setting. Here's a classic story. A penniless street kid uses his wit and ingenuity to rise above the titans of industry, amassing great status and wealth. That's not the story you'll hear today, but a better one. A son comes into the world poor. He lives his life in humility and grace, perfection, giving everything he is so that we can have life. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 4, with his continuing study entitled, A Housing Crisis. Jesus is We don't implicitly trust God. We don't give love self-sacrificially. We don't look out for God's glory and the interests of others before ourselves. But that's what God wants to do in our lives. And that's when things are working together for our good. When we're saying, God, I don't get this. I don't even like this. Lord, I hope you take it. But while it's here, bear fruit in my life. Because we know that all things, every unique circumstance works together for good. And notice there's two characteristics for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, when I first read that verse, it made me very nervous. Because what if I don't love God? And if you're like me, you find yourself some days your love for God is white hot and other days your love for God is as chilly as a freezer. Because our hearts are fickle. Some days we're really inclined to say, oh, God, I love you. And other days you're like, you know what, Lord, I'm not sure that I like you right now. And that's part of the condition of the human heart, isn't it? We're all over the place a little bit. We're not quite sure that we can sustain God's, our love for God. But you notice the second qualification or characteristic for those who love God and for those who are the what? The called according to God's purpose. And brothers and sisters, that's exciting because the gifts and calling of God are what? Irrevocable. Or for those of you with the King James, are without repentance. Which means even though our love for God may be fickle, God's calling is not. That's strong. God's calling keeps us. So your unique circumstances and my unique circumstances, just like Mary and Joseph's unique circumstances, they will work together for good. And we know that it's the case because God loves us enough to accept us as we are, but not to keep us that way. I know there's a lot of us, you have circumstances, you're like, I just don't get what's going on. It makes no sense. This was not the plan. I did not expect this. I'm not saying that's wrong, but we need to sometimes get out of our circumstances and look at it from another angle. 
take off our own. This is what I was hoping for and say, Lord, I want to put on the goggles of the Holy Spirit and see what this looks like. And then you realize, God, I don't like this and I want you to take this away, but while it's here, make me like Jesus. Make these ill circumstances fruitful. And the reason we can do it is we know that all things work together for good. And for us, we need to put legs on that, don't we? Activate our faith to say, God, all things are working together for us. So it begins with there were unique circumstances. And there is for you, there was for Mary and Joseph. Now look at what happens in verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, in verse 4, into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, not only were there unexpected circumstances, but now there was an at-risk family. Mary and Joseph is an at-risk family. Notice this. When this decree happens, Joseph is going. He's leaving Galilee and the city of Nazareth. Remember, Galilee's the region and Nazareth is the city. And then he's going to Judea, which was the region in the south, to a specific city, the city of Bethlehem. But notice what it says. He had to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, this is before subways, airplanes, mopeds, cars. It's the 80-mile drive as the crow flies. Mary's pregnant, and she has to be registered by decree of Caesar Augustus. Now, how many of you ladies in here have had kids? Yeah. How many of you would have liked to take an 80-mile ride on the back of a donkey at the end of your pregnancy? Sound good? Who wants to sign up? Anybody? Sounds fun? No, right? I mean, let's be honest. When it's time for the baby to come, you don't even want to be in a car. I remember when Lynn was going to have our second child, Maranatha. She was in labor. Now, I love my wife. She's a sweetheart, but she's, she's a strong German girl. And so she wouldn't let me bring her to the hospital. When we got there, she was nine centimeters. We got there. God bless her. But I remember, you know, I'm, a, I'm the pastor, you know, and so we're sitting at a, a stoplight, sitting there. And finally, she looked at me. She's like, go through it. <laughs> and all you ladies are like, I can't believe you even stopped at the stop. But I was sitting there just like. That might have been the worst thing my wife has ever thought in her entire life. <laughs> Encouraging me, me to run the stoplight. And, I, and my next thought was, what if I get a ticket? You know, like. <laughs> so sure enough, I just gun it and I ran the stop and, and, and I ran the light. And then I try and imagine my sweet, my sweet wife on the back of a donkey for 80 miles. <laughs> I mean, could you? Don't you just wish that there was, like, a video camera for that? Because you're like, I mean, of course, Mary, you know, we know her as this sweet, submissive lady in the Bible, but at some point, she's got to be like, you know, I just, if I saw Caesar Augustus, I would rip his head off. <laughs> I mean, who does he think he is? A decree, everybody. Look at me. I mean, an 80-mile donkey ride doesn't sound 
fun not pregnant, let alone completely pregnant. See so how this, this couple, they're betrothed, but they're not married. I mean, they're, and remember, we talked about this. In our culture, it'd be like they were engaged but unwed. In their culture, they were legally married, but it had never been consummated. So they could be broken up, but it had to be a legal divorce, even though they had never come together. So Mary's pregnant. She's a teenager. She's got to go on a donkey. This is a complete at-risk family traveling 80 miles on the back of a donkey. And what's interesting is you put a unique set of circumstances with an at-risk family, and you have the potential for disaster. That's what you have. You have the potential for disaster. Unique circumstances with a family that they're already at risk, and you put those two together, and things happen. Rough things happen. Challenging things happen. But if you notice in these verses, yes, Mary and Joseph were at risk. Yes, there was unique circumstances. But I hope you notice the emphasis here on where they're going and why. Notice what it says in these verses. It says, Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. There is an emphasis on their going to Bethlehem, which is the city of David, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. Now, I want you to notice, remember, I made the point that Galilee and Nazareth was in the north, and Judea and Bethlehem was, was in the south. But you notice it says they went up. Now, some people would say, oh, that's why you can't trust the Bible. They're going south. It says they're going up. That means north. Do you realize in the Bible, every time you're going towards Jerusalem, you're always going up? You may not have noticed that. You never go down to Jerusalem. You always go up to it. Now, some would say, well, it's because it's on a mountain. If you've ever been to Israel, it's not really a mountain. It's like a little hill. (laughs) But the implication is the reason you're always going up to Jerusalem is because Jerusalem was, quote unquote, where God dwelt. And anytime you're getting closer to God, where are you going? You're going up. You're going up. So even though they're heading from north to south, he's going up. And the point here is that David once again was of that lineage of David, who was the great king, who was of the lineage of Abraham, the great patriarch. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So in 1 Samuel 16, we find that the prophet Samuel is being encouraged by the Lord to go to the house of Jesse, who's from Bethlehem, the Bethlehemite. Now, does anybody know what the word Bethlehem actually means? It means house of bread. It's two Hebrew words, Beit and Lechem. You put them together, Beit Lechem. It's funny, you go to Israel, you say Bethlehem, they'll look at you like you're a little crazy. You say, I want to go to Beit Lechem. Like, oh yeah. I had that when Lynn and I, we were in Israel, not on a tour. We we grabbed a taxi, we're like, we want to go to Capernaum. And the guy said, huh? Capernaum, you know, it's like we were were up in the Sea of Galilee area, we want to go to Capernaum. Huh? And I'm like, I thought about it. I looked at the sign. It says, Kafer Nahum, which means the town of Nahum. And I said, Kafer Nahum. He said, oh, okay, okay. It's a, we forget that sometimes, that 
when things get brought over into another culture, it doesn't look exactly... Kafir Nahum, it's almost the same thing. Kafir Nahum, Capernaum. So Bethlehem, Beit Lechem, the house of bread. David was from the house of bread. Now, listen to the great prophecy of Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel." Do you realize God had promised the children of Israel that the promised Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? Though you were little, out of you will come him who will be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth were from of old, from everlasting. If God wanted to enter, and he had given the children of Israel through the prophecies of Micah a promise that that child was going to be born in Bethlehem, but Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, how was God going to get them there? Because we all know that they weren't going to just take a little trip down there for fun. How did God do it? He moved on the heart of a pagan king to declare a census, to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles south. Think about how powerful that is. Those unique circumstances were God-ordained to fulfill the word of God. See, God is that sovereign. God is that powerful. God can move an at-risk family 80 miles by moving on the heart of a pagan ruler who didn't know Yahweh from anything. Do you trust God who can do that? Do you believe that in our unique circumstances, that maybe behind a frowning providence, there's a smiling face? That God is truly orchestrating the events of your world for a specific purpose? That's why we hope. That's why we learn to trust. I think it's powerful. The only way, it probably wasn't the only way, but it was a convenient way to fulfill the prophecies about the coming Messiah was through a decree of a pagan king in an at-risk family. So you have unique circumstances. You have an at-risk family. And then notice what happens in verses 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So not only do you have unique circumstances and not only do you have an at-risk family, but now you have that there was a humble birth. There was a humble birth. Verses six and seven are breathtaking in their simplicity. I mean, you would think, I mean, this is like the climax of humanity right here. And it's like these very simple words. There's nothing dramatic about it. I mean, you would think that God in his word would put like some divine background music or something. 
Ta-da. Something to add to the impact of how powerful this all is. A promised child given to a woman who's never known a man. God's own son. As simple as, and so it was. But while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I want to just grab a couple pieces for you. I want you to notice that it says it was her firstborn son. That's important because oftentimes in the Bible, they use the word the only begotten son. It's the Greek word monogenes, which is actually, we, get, we would get mono as one and genes as gene, same word, one offspring. But they don't use it, the firstborn son. Why? Because Mary and Joseph had other kids. And we talked about that when we talked about Mary a couple weeks ago, and I need to bring it up because there's uh, fractions within the greater what we call Christianity who would say that Mary never had children. And that's just straight up not true. And if you don't believe me, look at Matthew 13, 55, Matthew 12, 46, Mark 3, 31 and 32, Luke 8, 19 and 20. We find Jesus' brothers named. We find out that Jesus has sisters, Matthew 13, 56. So Jesus was Mary's firstborn son, but not her only son. And we need to bring that out because there's people who want to say that Mary was perpetually a virgin, and thus you can pray to her and have access. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But it's interesting. If they would have used the word monogenes there, we would have had a whole other set of discussions about it. But the fact that it's specific, she brought forth her firstborn son because she's going to have second, third. We know a lot of the teachings of the early church fathers that the book of James was James the Just, who was Jesus's half-brother. We have them named in Scripture. So they, you have to realize that Mary and Joseph had other children. And there's nothing absolutely wrong with that. They were a normal couple who enjoyed normal things that normal couples enjoy. And they had other children as well. So that's the first thing. I want you to notice, secondly, in these verses, that she wrapped them in swaddling clothes. Now, why do I think this is important? Because swaddling clothes were just... When you have a baby, you know how they teach you how to wrap them up in the blanket real tight? That's what swaddling clothes are. There's that part of us that wants, when you read swaddling clothes, you think it's like, oh, it's something special. No, it's just strips of clothes. It was meant to keep the baby all balled up and tight so they felt warm and everything like that. There was nothing unique about swaddling clothes. And I bring that up, maybe I'm the only one who, when I started reading the Bible, like, I wonder what the significance of swaddling clothes is. And the reality is, is that's just what they wrapped all the babies up in. So Jesus was just like every other baby. He was born. He got wrapped up and footballed up, so he felt really nice and tight. I used to, I love that. We're going to get to do that again. I love footballing a little baby. Because, you know, the, the babies like it. They feel comfortable. They just got out of the womb where they didn't have any room, and then they're out there, they move their hands around, and you just wrap them up real tight, and they like it. It's snug as a bug in a rug. You guys know? And I love that. That's like my favorite time when the baby's all like, <laughs> and that's what swaddling clothes did. It was just, they're just like, you know <laughs> But there's absolutely no significance To the swaddling clothes Other than that's just what babies were wrapped in In that day they would just it would be, 
different pieces of cloth. And unlike ours, we have one cohesive one. They did it in little things. They can wrap them up nice and tight. And baby was happy. So there was no significance to that. But then, all of a sudden, everything gets really weird. Because the last half of verse 7 says, And laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And brothers and sisters, that is weird. And the reason it's weird is we think of a manger and we think of like this little gold-lined bassinet with beautiful, you know, bumper set. A manger was a feeding trough. And it wasn't like a brand new one that was just waiting there, ergonomically correct for the divine spinal cord. It was a used feeding trough. Animals had been eating out of it. Like, I mean, we have this perception of the manger scene where it's like every single animal in there has orthodontic teeth (laughs) with whitening strips on it. And they just glisten. And it's all this beautiful little scene. It was not, Jesus was born in like a barn setting. Completely unsanitary. Completely humble. Of the, like, nobody has birth that way. I mean, those of you who even have home births know it's nothing like that. And it begs the question for us, you're telling me God is so sovereign that he can get Mary and Joseph 80 miles by a divine decree and he forgot to make a reservation? Because someone's bound to ask that question. Is it really possible? And the answer is yes. Why? Because the Calvary road began with no vacancy in Bethlehem. That's why. Because the God of all glory is also complete in his humiliation. The Calvary road began being laid in a feeding trough, in a barn. I want you to reflect on this. I want you to reflect on this with me. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Think, I'm going to read that again. This is mind-blowing. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was the God of all glory, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The Calvary road began in a manger because no matter who you are, he who is rich became poor so that we might become rich. And the fact that when God's son came to the earth, he was in a barn. There was a housing crisis. There was no room for him in the end. What that means is that no matter what you've done or where you've been, no matter what roads you've traveled down, no matter what road, Jesus is at street level for you. Jesus is Everything about Jesus' birth was a beautifully crafted miracle, and the circumstances that got Mary and Joseph to Jerusalem were no exception. 
Although it seemed like a census was no big deal, as Pastor Daniel explained, it was so perfectly timed to fulfill the prophecy that said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Even Jesus' humble beginnings in a feeding trough spoke to his purpose that through his poverty, we could be rich. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, we'll hear about the Christmas three. Not just the wise men we've always heard about in the Christmas story, but three types of people, three types of revelation, and three gifts that hold great meaning about who Jesus is. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Jesus at Street Level. Next time, until then, may God bless.